exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories. Their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Virginia Heiner. Heiner? Heiner? Heiner. Heiner. Oh, yeah. Virginia. Okay. I, she's just Virginia to me and she's got four kids. I know that because not because I check her Facebook as often as I should, but because she's got a cute picture of her kids behind her. But, um, you know, we've been friends for a long time. How long have we been friends? Oh, uh, I'd say at least maybe five years or less. Yeah. Yeah. And is it through networking that we met? Yeah, it was kind of through networking. Okay. See, I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's how it feels. But she's a, this is a case for being active on social media and being positive is because, you know, if social media is done right, you actually can like grow closer to each other and know more about each other and how each other think than, you know, where if you're complaining or, um, you know, not posting. Right. Yeah. Well, and I love interacting with you on your posts. I like, I'll comment on a thing just cause I, I'm like, Oh, I can relate to that. I can. And I comment not expecting a back and forth, but there's always engagement. Yeah. And I love that. Well, I didn't know when I started doing that, that I was a brilliant social media manager. I just feel like if somebody <laughs> takes the time to, you know, if you're having a conversation It should be a two-way thing. And as my social media influence has grown, I don't see why that should change. Right. You know, that why would I have, I mean, I have enough one-sided conversations with, I do a speech, (laughs) you know, where it's like, there might be a Q and a, but if it's a keynote style, you just say your thing and then they clap. And that's very, not as exciting as being able to have a conversation, you know? Yeah. So you're like, eh, okay, that's, that's fun. And all the people who hire me for keynotes are like, what? And I'm like, I love, I love talking to the people. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. And you are a working mom as well. Tell us about that. I am. Yeah. So I work outside of the home as a freelance um, American sign language interpreter. Um, what I love about that um, is mostly I have full autonomy um, with my, my life and my schedule. So I pick and choose the jobs I will or will not take. Um, I try to my hardest to work around making sure I keep my promises or my obligations with my family first and work second. Um, I had an epic fail on my daughter's birthday a couple weeks ago when I'm like a month prior. I wasn't even thinking about the day or the date. I just accepted a job and it was on her birthday. Oh, so that yeah. happened. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I do, we do our best. Well, my mother always did birthday weeks 
because she right. often, bless her heart, forgot our birthdays completely. Oh, no. So when we'd be like, it's my birthday, she'd be like, but it's your birthday week. <laughs> nice. And we still do birthday nice. weeks, but like when the kids were little, they didn't have to do dishes their whole week, birthday week. Oh, you know, that's they good. got like certain perks during their birthday week, you know, but then you can like, you know, yeah. a big Sunday yeah. dinner, you know, big celebrations for them throughout their week. But again, I only have two living children, so that's much more you know, then if you have four kids, yeah, you know, it's, well, that's a lot. worked out really beautifully. Um, I, I went and worked out in the morning and then I came home and I made her, her favorite breakfast, which is pancakes and sat down and ate with her and then sent her off to school and then came home and got her ready for our neighborhood Halloween carnival, just uh-huh. happened to be on her birthday and <laughs> sent her on her way down to that and went to work. And um, she thought it was the greatest birthday ever. Well, truth of the matter, <laughs> there's nothing the wrong with children seeing their parents work. Right. That's kind of how life works, right? Yeah. And there was probably a 12-year period where I don't even think I was in town on my birthday. Many, many birthdays where I'm like, I'm ordering myself a treat at this restaurant by myself. <laughs> I love that so much. I think, you know, it's, it's also like, we still made her, her special. Like I've given my kids the option of, I, you can, we can give you the money that we would spend Mm -hmm. on a gift and you can buy what you want, or we can buy something like a gift for you, or you can choose a friend activity. I don't do parties. I don't buy into that hoopla. Um, but we'll do a two, depending on the activity, they pick two to three friends and they and my focus is on the memory and the experience and yep. um, engaging with, with our, with the people that are in our lives. And more often than not, my kids pick the experience. They pick the friend activity. And so she had already picked her friend activity and we were, that was that following Saturday. So she still got her day and got her. That wasn't an epic stuff. mom fail. What's that poopy talk, Virginia? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, you're being a little hard on yourself there because <laughs> this is true. I mean, like so, if the basement started flooding on her birthday, that's not, you know, that's just what it is. You just got to do the adult things. Yeah, this is you true. Know? I just felt bad when I realized, oh, that's, that's on her birthday. Oops. Well, I've got to go to work. <laughs> well, I, I know, you know, that I'm fluent in sign language, but yeah. I'm not certified as an interpreter anymore. And so, right. um, because you can only do so many professions and my ADD does not extend to that. So, um, but I was, there was somebody who reached out to me through LinkedIn and they're like, yeah, we'll get you recertified. And I was like, do I want to be a virtual interpreter? No, I, I can't be a, no, I, there'd be so much work to get myself up, up to where I would want to be, to be an interpreter. Yeah. Cause I've just been conversely enjoying my friends, you know, through sign language. Just, and it's, that's great interpreting for church things and things like that but I'm like but you know you know a a different culture and a different language and you can engage with them and your life is more enriched by that which is true any language we learn or culture we experience and you know yeah and I am kind of deaf so it works you know deaf culturally (laughs) and you agree that I'm a little no I mean like deaf culturally really that I just kind of say it I'm like here it is nice you know 
Okay. So you shared, um, for my birthday, speaking of ages and birthdays, look at that good segue we did there. I have been asking my Facebook friends for great life lessons, and I'm going to be sharing a bunch of them in November, like mm-hmm. gratitude for what we're learning. Right. Yeah. And it's been really fun to see different things that people have been sharing. So those of you interested in hearing my friend's wisdom, um, you, you want to follow me on my social media, but um, you shared so much juicy goodness for your birthday that I was like, this isn't just a cute little post. I mean, like you thought about it, unless you just have that kind of wisdom just pour out of you naturally. Not that always, I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I guess you were like, she's she let's let's do it. That's what I, a conversation you me while I was doing a job. And like I had time to sit because I was teamed and I had time to sit and like think and ruminate over the question before I responded. So for those that don't know, teamed means it's a longer, you're only supposed to sign for back in my day, it was like 20 minutes and then you take a break while the other person's interpreting so that you don't blow out your hands, meaning like get carpal tunnel, that kind of thing. So this was a different and more unique team. It was, I was teamed with a CDI, which is called, which is known as a certified deaf interpreter, mm-hmm. but it was very relaxed. It was just someone's um, appointment medical related. Oh. But there was no like major interaction. We were just waiting for their treatment to be completed. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so there wasn't a whole lot going on, but yeah, I was there. We were chatting, we were com- conversating, and then just I could think mm-hmm. about well, I was a medical things. interpreter back in my day. So I'm having a little bit of nostalgia. Just a moment. <laughs> yeah. Miss that. Miss that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, do you, do you want to, um, dive into what you shared in your young 41 years of life or do you want me to share it? Um, I should about it. Either. I got it in front of me. Do you want me to read it or how about you just go into it? Just go into it. I got it. Yeah. Kind of you want, if you're a reader, if that's how you, you know, or if you want to be like, we're talking about this, you okay. know, like that. Cause so one of my biggest takeaways in my 41 years is, um, this life journey that we're all on, we're not meant to do it alone. We're not meant to try and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and just suffer through things like, and that, that intense independence, I can't rely on others can really be damaging to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I also truly believe that we're not only when we do that, we are preventing ourselves from being blessed by others and preventing blessings for other people. Yeah, absolutely. And them getting to know us. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, the I have a, a friend here in my neighborhood that the first day I met her was she had signed up to bring me dinner. Didn't know wow. me. Didn't know me. Just moved into the area she had um, to bring me dinner after my hysterectomy. So I met her literally like probably in these same pajamas that I'm wearing as we talk right now. <laughs> uh, and Virginia's like, you didn't have to tell people. And I'm like, no, cause I'm going to do yeah. my workout. Be real. Um, be real for sure. Yeah. Probably these very same pajamas. Cause I got these for my hysterectomy and um, you know, just, I met her at the foot of my bed, you know, she brought me dinner and That's I have loved her awesome. like so much more because we met through her serving me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've learned there's been things placed in my life sporadically that has really forced me to like 
actually have to ask for help and depend on others stepping up and and helping me, serving me and loving me because of that. So yeah. So do you want to share a couple of those? What those were? Yeah. So one of them was I stepped on a toothpick. That's like one of the major ones. And like, I had to ship kids off. I couldn't take care of them. Like I was sick. Like it got this little tiny injury, like seemingly, because it was just like a little tiny hole that went into my foot blew up. Like it blew up into like this proportion that was like, this does not. So you didn't go get the, the, the toothpick removed so that it and its germs got up in your foot. So my husband pulled it out with pliers, ah. but it didn't bleed. And this is something I learned about puncture wounds. Puncture, yeah, I was going to say puncture um, Yeah, so it was a puncture wound. And they actually are very known for getting infected and uh-huh. um, being hard to manage. That's how I said the toothpick and all its germs. Yeah, all of its germs. All of it. <laughs> and um, it was it was quite an interesting experience. But I ended up having to have emergency surgery and like a pick line put in and IV like therapy and like that made me so sick. So like, I was like, I remember I had the emergency surgery. I had a bone biopsy done and I got home and I got settled and my husband put all these things around me, but then he had to go to work. But I was thinking home health was coming to me. And then I get a call. They're like, when can you come in? And I'm like, wait, what? I can't home help. I can't. I can't. Home help. Yeah, I was very confused. So I called up my best friend and was like, "Hey, what you doing?" And she's like, "Well, I'm just running some errands." And I'm like, "Any chance when you're done, you could take me to this place to start my IV therapy?" Oh my heavens! It was crazy. Um. And I sent my kids off to my sister-in-law's house for the weekend to just try and recoup. And then like, I got them back after a few days and I was like, still so wiped out. And I just called my friend and I was like, can I come sleep in your basement and you can take care of my kids? (laughs) Like, I can't take care of them. I'm so wiped out. Eventually, eventually it started to ease and I didn't have to rely on people as much, but it was how rough long, for the, how long was it? It was a total of two months that that was happening. Okay, people, watch out for the deadly toothpicks. Yeah, no toothpicks are yeah. So they don't, don't. I don't allow them in my house. Oh, okay. Let's. I got rid of them. Yeah, you, yeah. Like, that was your Sleeping Beauty needle. You had to. <laughs> I'm like, you don't need a toothpick. We have dental floss. Yeah, yeah. Go <laughs> do it properly. Yeah, Um, that was one of them where I people really came out and just supported me another one um but I also asked for help I didn't try to just do it myself and get through it um another one was a major life event um when our youngest um was born and four months after she was um diagnosed abused but she actually had infantile rickets and healing rickets and vitamin d deficiency 
So and they it caused her bones to be very weak, and she had multiple fractures. So they bones. they said you guys had abused your child. Yes, but she had rickets. Right. Did yeah. they take her away? They did. Oh my crap, Virginia! Oh. We lost her. We lost. Um, we lost her, and she went. We actually were able to place her with my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. And then they removed our custody from our other three older children, but we never, they never were able to take them. Like they never placed them anywhere. We agreed to 24 hour supervision and we made that happen. Like they were not going to take the rest of our kids. Yeah. So they tried a couple of times, but we would not allow it because we were like, no, this is, we and in the end, um, I had people show up for me in in major ways, um, even just like messaging me, like, how are you doing? Just really simple things. But like, that was impactful. Like, I knew who my village was because people didn't leave during that really harsh time in my life, because that's something that's very easily judged. So and how long was it from when they diagnosed her as abused to when they realized that they, that she had rickets and that you guys were innocent of these charges? Um, so technically the state never, um, recognized her diagnosis as rickets. What? We had other es- experts on our side defending us, um, that diagnosed her with that. And, but in the end, it was four months from start to finish when the state said, we're going to give you your kids back today and let's change the wording in the petition. And like, we went to mediation and sat there and the, um, the attorney general that was prosecuting us was like, so we're going to change this phrase. And like, they did all the changes. We didn't have to argue a single thing. Okay. Okay. Because in the end, Mine and my husband's approach to court and going through this process was every time we showed up, we'd either already done stuff that they were going to court order because we were proactive Mm -hmm. or it was, okay, we'll do that. And as we were leaving, we were on the phone getting things done that Mm -hmm. were court ordered. And um, it was always, what can we do next for our kids? The focus was always about the kids. So that impressed them. That was like, monumental for us instead of being like how dare you being a victim angry you were like okay there's a reason they do this and we know we're innocent so we're just gonna I prove mean, it to there there's no like yes and no like i wanted to be outraged and i of wanted course. to lash out and be like defensive but I'm a very red personality. And I knew in that moment during this whole thing, it was going to harm me. It was going to hurt me and it was going to hurt my family. But here's the thing. Um, I always talk about like, you know, the diaper changing. Does anyone love yeah. the smell of poop? And people will be like, no. Right. And yet yeah. when you're changing a baby's diaper, you're like, hello, how are you? Yes, you're so cute. Right. right. And yet you're doing something that that's unpleasant. Yeah, it's not fair. And why is that? Because we choose to exhibit a certain side of what we're feeling. Yeah. And having feelings does not mean you have to show them. I know 
It's right. kind of shocking. <laughs> <laughs> but you know? it was really, that was a really dark and difficult time in my life. But I also was aware enough to know if I let my rage take control, it's going to harm me. And like you it's said, you had your tribe me. that you could call and be like, I can't believe this is happening. And this is crazy and kind of vent those feelings and express them. But you yeah. didn't use those as the main feelings to show forward when you're dealing right. with. Yeah. yeah. And I had my private moments. I had those things, but also at one point I was spiraling. Like I was, my mental health was in crisis. Like I was uh, yeah. in deep crisis and with my history and my family, my growing up background, my mom suffers from um, severe mental illness and never sought help. Never. How is this your, um, is this your biological? No, okay. So the mom that raised you. So you, and one of the things that's hard about mental health yet help health is yes, there, um, there is a genetic component that we can have. Like my family's prone to some kind of manic depression. I don't, you know, just, Mm -hmm. I know it's been diagnosed with anything, but they go through these periods of just deep, deep sadness. Right. Um, and then there's environmental that affects our mental health as well. You know, if you're abused, if you're hit, you know, and yeah. so even though this wasn't your biological mom, you witnessed all those behaviors. You saw those coping strategies yep. and they would affect you and how you, you know, you had to make a very proactive to use that word again that you used yeah. decision of how you're going to approach that. Right. So one of these days I was spiraling and because of my history, like knowing my mom didn't manage her mental health in an appropriate way. And they didn't even life. talk about it back then. Not no, it was something so taboo and swept under the rug and hidden, like, and very isolating. Even as a child, I remember feeling like I couldn't talk about it and feeling isolated, but also seeking out places that I felt safe mm-hmm. that wasn't home. Yeah. And like my job, my whole goal was always to try and be outside of my house as much as possible. Yeah. And that's pretty yeah. hard. How old were you when you were adopted? I was three days old. I was a baby. Okay. So, um, and you were raised with knowing that there was this other mom out there. Yeah. Yeah. I always knew. I don't, I don't recall a a specific conversation or anything where we sat down and really dove into that. It was just, I always knew. So how did you wrestle with having a home you didn't want to be in with, they chose you? Oh, that's hard. (laughs) That's hard. Um, Sorry, I just went for the jugular there. Sorry. Right? Um, Not that there wasn't love in my home because there was. It just was, it was a hard environment to grow up in. And they supported me, but then there were other things that, I don't know. It was, I don't know if I've ever really reconciled that. Because my family was good. I guess I could say this. They were good people and they, they did their best with what they had, mm-hmm. but they could have done better. Like a lot of families. I mean, you could say the same thing about. I could say the same thing about my family. That's what I was just about to say is you could say the same thing about what I would describe as I, I think my kids got a great upbringing, yeah. but didn't every moment of every day I live up to the best of what I knew? Of course not. No. Yeah. You know? I mean, and I had to apologize more than once to my kids. And I think that's a big key factor is the ability to say this wasn't 
there's a gap between what we do and what we know. And every human being has to wrestle with that. Some of us cover it up with ego and some of us are willing to take ownership of it and say, I'm sorry. And the difference can be abuse. Yes. And changed behavior. I think that's the biggest thing was there was never changed behavior with my family. I really don't have a connection with them anymore. But did they ever apologize? Did they ever... I mean, they, they apologize, like make amends. They apologize, but they say one day you'll forgive me. And it's like, oh, good. They Manipulate. equate forgiveness is I will let them back in my life. Like they still get to have a place well, in my life. Forgiveness is, um, I mean, you and I have had conversations about this electronically, yeah. you know, um, but forgiveness is a sticky topic that, um, you know, people talk about religious trauma and I'm a religious person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because I've studied what forgiveness is, where it's right. completely different from trust, right? It's not required. It's not forced. It's not, it's something you choose to give for your own mental it's health. Really for that. yourself to release right. yourself, but it's not when for the, the other person. Yeah. When they're like, you have to forgive me because Christ said to forgive people or, you know, yeah, all of whatever. Right. It's like, no, no, that's not actually how that works. Yeah. That's, you know, an emotional manipulation. And, you know, um, so that's, you know, pretty, pretty emotional. But then I'm sure if you were to know more about their family, there's all these crazy behaviors. And yeah. I think now we call it all mental health, which I not invalidating what you were saying, but I think that right. sometimes it becomes this, oh, they can't help themselves. They have mental health. You know, it's like we pendulum swinged a little bit too far. Right. Like, oh, they have this mental condition. I'm like, I know a lot of people with crazy hard diagnosis of mental health stuff. Yeah. Don't do that. Could they be still have to be held accountable. Right. They still have accountability. Right. And for me, so when I was spiraling, as soon as I like, peaked in that spiral like I hit the top of that that mountain and was like coming back down the cortisol levels were starting to return back to earth's atmosphere (laughs) all of that I realized I'm not okay Mm -hmm. lucky for me I had a friend who went through the interpreter training program with me who also went on to get her social work degree and became a therapist and so I contacted her immediately like literally was like hey I know you can't be my therapist but I need help (laughs) Yeah. Good for you. Hook me up. Yeah. And she hooked me up and I began the process of, of going to therapy. This was all during the court stuff. And at one point we went to court and they're like, so today we're just going to ask you to get into your psyche valve came back and it, there's no red flags. Um, but the, the person suggested you get into therapy to handle with the stressors of the situation. And then I was like, yeah, already done. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Already you have already done. triggered these feelings. I have already <laughs> taken action to pull, not release that trigger. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And that to them was like shocking. They were like, who was this person? <laughs> Love it. Do a psyche valve. But before we could court order her to go to therapy, recognize that she needed to help managing the stress. Okay. So on your records, is it still like a little black mark against you guys or are you cleared it? So our petition says um, that that our child was believed to be abused by an unknown perpetrator, not at the fault of the parents. Okay. So no black mark against you. Nope. 
and but they don't recognize that it was Ricketts. Right. Okay, so pity the fool that ever hit your daughter. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in the end, where her fractures were, were in between her elbows and her wrists and both Uh arms. Which looked like a defensive wound. Her ankle in her, she was four months old. How could she defend herself? (laughs) Oh, right, right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So our, our experts explained it this way. Every, like, because of where her fractures were, and her her issues that she was having, she couldn't absorb the vitamin D. She couldn't, like, she was having tummy issues. She was allergic to, she was formula fed, and she was allergic to the food. And we finally found, landed, like, at six months old, we landed on the one hypoallergenic formula that she tolerated the best. Oh. But it still was making her sick. And, um, so it wasn't until she was 18 months to two years old, we finally got her nutrition under control because we figured out all of her allergies Hmm. and like eliminated them from her diet. And then she started to, to thrive and grow and be healthier and not be sick all the time. And, um, but Every time we took her arm and we dressed her every time, cause you pull, like you have to help them put their clothes yeah. on. You have to pull on their arm a little bit, or you lift them by the ankles to wipe their bum when you're changing their diaper. Right, right. We were causing micro fractures in her every time we did that. And was she crying when these activities were ha- happening? She cried 20, 20 hours a day. Oh, so that's awesome that your sister took her and gave her good care because um, I read a study one time or, listen to a podcast or something I at this point I just am always absorbing information that I'm right. like did I read that did I hear it I don't even yeah but that children who cry a lot because of like medical things or whatever um have a higher likelihood of being abused and so how terrifying if you placed her with somebody that wasn't that you know didn't have as much control over themselves yeah no you know? she my sister-in-law and brother-in-law were phenomenal um, taking care of her and they actually only had her for a very short period of time it was only three weeks and then we were able to bring her into the supervision part um and that was hard for me I struggled with that because I was terrified of my baby at that point I'm sure it's hurt because you're four months after having had a baby yeah and she so, was hurt and I had no idea how she got to that level or degree of, of pain. Right. And I was terrified of doing anything to hurt her further. Right. I was terrified. I was terrified of my baby and I was also terrified. You're terrified of, of the situation that she yeah. bought. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was very terrified of the situation. And so that was really hard, but therapy helped me. I was like, I was starting, you know, that's about when I started therapy and started that process during therapy that's when my childhood stuff came up and I was able to start working on the healing from that as well and you were adopted out by that time and yeah it's all intertwined they all like oh sorry no you're fine my therapist said you know because I was diagnosed with PTSD um and PTSD is like the center of a web and then that web it's it's like a spider's web like all these things interconnect Right. Um, and you have to heal all those different parts of you. And yeah. you maybe have one main trigger, 
but you have lots of little things that you got to work on too. Right. Well, with my own experiences with PTSD, not that any reason from any part of my life or childhood would have caused those things. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, is that, you know, it, it can be such a gift because the empathy that you gain, the ability to connect with other people yeah. that, um, you know, I was asked, you know, that matrix moment, you know, like if you could take the pill and it would go away. Right. Yeah. And I literally was like, Hmm. No, I wouldn't take it away for all the downsides of it. You know, um, sudden nightmares, you know, these kinds of things. You know, I wake up and I'm like, Ooh, I guess I had too much adrenaline today. You know, like yeah. I intellectualize, you know, my way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it helps me connect with people in a way that I wouldn't undo it. Yeah. And um, I mean, you know, got some great stories from it. Great lessons. Right. Right. You know, but, but it's all about finding that those opportunities to find and seek out help from others. So right. I needed help. I could not manage. And you can't bury on my own. You can't bury PTSD. It makes yeah. you look at you. Mm-hmm. And so as you're working on those little spider webs, it makes you a more whole person yeah. because you're somebody who's actually looking at your poop. Yeah. And the poo is, is hard to look at and it's not fun to, yeah, to it comes out of us, so we've got to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not fun to clean up that poop. This is not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> I, I have the humor of a fifth grader. I'm like, <laughs> it was it, honestly like I tell people all the time. I'm like, EMDR saved my life. I love EMDR, but I and even now, still, I'm back in therapy. I took a break, but now I'm back in therapy, and we're gonna do some EMDR. We're gonna do some stuff. We're gonna clean up some some things that have come back and resurfaced and I'm still avoiding it. <laughs> I know it's good for me, but it is scary yeah. <laughs> to, to, to take that step and dive in. Well, and I will so, tell you, I totally believe that healthy people will go to therapy and yeah. sometimes we can have therapy be the, you know, a friend. Yeah. I have a friend that knows my whole entire, you know, all the things all and the I things. can call it. I'll be like, okay, is this crazy? Like, and she will tell me, she'll hold me accountable. She'll, Mm -hmm. she has worse ADD than I do. So she'll go down research holes, you know, (laughs) to like, okay, this is, here's an article to read about this and this and this, you know, and, you know, such a huge friend, but really at the end of the day, therapy is an accountability tool. It's a proactive tool. Yeah. And, but you have to be sometimes willing to kind of crack open that vulnerability, you know? And, yeah. um, I hate to tell you, cause I'm nine years older. <laughs> That's not that much older. I know. I know. I'm just, you know, ages are is irrelevant. Age old advice from an old lady, <laughs> um, that we're always working on us. And that's the gift. It is. It is the gift. You know, it's, it's provided me with, I, I will always not love that part of my life. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to look at. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you because you're my friend. Yeah. You can always not like it. Yeah. But when, when we sometimes say, um, you know, I don't want to look at it. It connotates a shame. Right. And so you don't have, yeah, you don't have any reason to be ashamed or to not, to not be like, yeah, this happened. 
It did. It happened. It was, it's part of, it's part of my story. Even my, my baby girl, she knows her story. We've never tried to hide that from her. We share it with her. We talk about it. Um, but she is, she has, she shines. This child has such a personality and confidence and just this light that she just, it emanates. So many kids, you're Savannah's mom. I am. They're like, she's my friend. Like so many people come up to me about how much she impacts her, their lives. And she's, you know, she's nine. Yeah. Yeah. Just little. And, but she's, she's phenomenal and she's strong despite the, the hard start of her life. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so she likes laying in the sun now, right? (laughs) So I, I don't love sunscreen. We do sunscreen, but we don't, I don't overdo the sunscreen because I want her, I want my kids to get that vitamin D. Right. It's important. And she can't, she can't drink, she can't drink dairy. She can't drink milk where it's fortified in it. Oh, so she, you know, she has very limited ways of getting her vitamin D. So we also supplement her, but so she's, I mean, is that because of the rickets? She can't drink milk or cause she has lactose. No, she's not actually lactose intolerant. She, um, so we discovered, we did a blood draw. There's a company of doctors and like professionals that have created a test. that's not covered by insurance, at least at this point in time. So it was expensive, yeah. um, but it was worth it for us. They did a blood draw and they tested 180 foods both in its raw and modified forms, all of their, it's modified forms. So like potato can be cooked a thousand different ways. They checked each different way um, huh. and discovered that she, and it's pretty, it's like the same thing across the board. She's allergic to the protein in foods. So she's can't have gluten. She can't have dairy because the casein and the whey is the protein in milk or in dairy. Right. Right. Um, it's across the board, the proteins. She doesn't break them down. The okay. So we just give her steak. What? Yeah. We give her rice and corn and meat and fr- fresh fruits and vegetables. Okay. Well, poor things just going to have a healthy non-processed life. <laughs> Pretty much. Now with that said, she no longer follows her diet because <laughs> it's her choice, mm-hmm. but she she will be like, I don't feel good. And I'm like, well, what did you eat today? And she'll be like, I ate this. And I'm like, well, maybe that's why. <laughs> okay. But this is one of my favorite parenting things is the older kids get, yeah. people can argue. And I don't think it's like, oh, age nine or 12 or whatever. Right. But you have to look at your individual child. I want them to make the most mistakes. Yeah. At, in my home, because I cannot alleviate the consequences but I can give them a safe place to land in those consequences. Yes. You know, I agree. I am very big on choice. Mm -hmm. And like, I had to deal with the aftermath of her diet and it being like from a baby all the way to, you know, after potty training, I would say probably until she was five or six. And I didn't like, I didn't want to deal with the aftermath of that. It was throw up. It was diarrhea. It was awfulness. Like I didn't want I did not want that in my life all the time. Yeah. So I very strictly followed her diet and and um, made sure that we eliminated as much of that as possible. And then we'd be like, oh, yeah, she can't have that because a new symptom would show up. Right, 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 right. 
But she's going to have to learn that at some point. Yeah, but she has to learn that for herself. So it's now that she's there to go all day. She doesn't want to feel different from her friends. She doesn't want to go to parties and have to bring stuff with her. She's making her life choices and has to suffer consequences sometimes from that. Yeah. But I mean, she doesn't love certain foods. She won't eat it. And that's fine because just she knows it doesn't make her feel good. Like she's gradually learning that it's just like, I don't want that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. My daughter's lactose. So on a much less severe thing. Yeah. It is different. Yeah. I talk to people all the time about that. Has learned it's not worth it to her. You know? And the smell. There's so many great options out there that are great. Yeah. Like, you know, the actual raw food. Of, you know, just, just, just the corn, just the beef, you know? Well, my, my husband's been on a low sodium diet for 12 years. Um, because he has Meniere's disease, Uh which is an inner ear disease, um, that causes vertigo and temporary deafness. (laughs) (laughs) But does he sign when he has, um, an episode, but no, he does not sign. Yeah. So he needs to work on that. I know. I agree. Sign language. (laughs) That might help him. I agree. Um, so we've been on a low sodium diet for a really long time. So we had already eliminated a lot of processed food in our house. So then just adding the rest of it and really just for her, like I would just really try to make meals where we could like supplement certain things and she could still have the same thing we're eating, but it just like a corn tortilla instead of a flour tortilla, you know, type of right. thing. Right. So there's good things, but when you guys travel and stuff, you don't get to eat out all the time. Um, so we, there's ways around it. We would just order her a hamburger without a bun and, okay. you know, things like that. I there's was just like, cause I, I, uh, I have a weakness and it is called food. And when <laughs> I travel, I eat all the things that I cannot eat at home. Yeah. People are like, what is that? And I'm like, I like traveled foreign and eaten bugs and brain and all kinds of stuff. And they're like, I can't believe that that white lady's eating it. That's what they would say in Indonesian, that bula. Yeah. But that's amazing. Like that's part of, of really connecting with someone else's culture. Well, of course, brain's organic. It's not processed. Yeah. So she can just have the non-processed foods. Yeah. She loves to eat elk heart when my husband goes out and gets an elk. During elk hunting season. <laughs> but low sodium in today's culture means he can't eat pretty much anything. Over, but my husband has a heart condition. So we we eat pretty, um, probably pretty similarly, you know, yeah. except no red meat. Um, yeah. You know, once in a while we might have red meat. But we kind of save that up for when we're traveling. Because if he does, mm-hmm. you know, orders the salmon instead of the steak, you right. know. But if we do do something exotic, it's okay because it's not the rule. Right. It's not like your daughter will give him diarrhea. Just my daughter will get it for lactose. But yeah, okay, right. we can do it. It just sounds so much more. Ah. It it seemed overwhelming at first. Um, but in the end, it really wasn't. I I'm pretty sure people think I'm crazy when I'm at the grocery store. But <laughs> I am like focused on on making sure that things are safe for her to eat, especially at the beginning, I would read every label and then I would like yell at the manufacturer 
for and like literally yell like in the grocery store yeah i'd be like why why is that in there okay <laughs> that was unnecessary <laughs> but this is a this is a good example of when we judge people we don't know why they're being that precise about something and it right. might be that they're ocd it right. might be that they have a crazy, weird food allergy. And frankly, in American diets, it's very hard. Yeah. I mean, out of all the diets around the world, we have the least healthy diet. We really do. Fortunately, it's- we also have the best medical care. But is that the best approach? But should we maybe just change our diet? Well, no, because then it would be defunding a lot of medical. And then there's going to be less lobbying dollars. So we can't. Yeah. Personal responsibility. We can't do that. Yeah, I don't know. There's an answer somewhere, but. And I think it's personal responsibility instead of turning the government for our problems. Yeah. But, and again, like for medical, it's one of the only services we purchase that we don't know how much it costs. Right. And so one of the things that I like to do is when there's something big happening, you know, like um, my, my kid put a Lego up their nose. Oh man. And so even though my insurance pays for these things, when I got the bill and it was like $800, I'm like, they had a a very narrow, you know, cute, um, not cute tip, um, pl- yeah. Tweezers. Tweezers. Thank you. Thank you. I'm like, you know, I was signing it enough that you understood. <laughs> um, and I was like, I'm pretty sure if I personally bought those tweezers, it would be cheaper mm-hmm. than that. And so I actually negotiated with them to lower that bill because it was ridiculous. They're like, well, technically a surgery. And I was like, no, you went up an orif- orifice of her face. You did yeah. not cut her open. No, yeah. we're not, you know, but just kind of being aware. It's like, no, no, that, you're not charging that. Right. And they, it went down to an $80 thing. Wow. That's a huge so difference. That, Ten percent of what? And what? Like they took the tweezers, they unwrapped it from its little package, they put it up there, took it out, took what, twenty seconds or less, if that long. Yeah, it took longer to unwrap it from the plastic, as you say, (laughs) than I mean, they just went poop out of the nose. I mean, it was so it was so simple that I was like, I probably could have done that with chopsticks. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, like. But, you know, I just thought, ah, that's kind of up near her brain and her eyes. And, you know, it can be scary for sure. I took a, I took tweezers. I pinned my kid's head between my legs and took tweezers and took a craisin out of his nose. But it was a soft, valuable thing. Like I could easily do that. <laughs> right. And this was, well, those little teeny one Lego, you yeah, know, yeah. White Lego. And yeah, like, what are you doing with that up your nose? Funny kids, you know? But he, yeah. you know, he was doing a, and so the sister was like, oh, good idea. I'll oh, put that good idea. I'll do that too. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm signing it. So I apologize to everyone else, the listeners. It didn't work okay. out too well. Yeah. It didn't work out too well. So, <laughs> um, I loved, I loved what you said towards the end of your thing here. You talked about, you were talking about your journey and how learning is a journey, you mm-hmm. know, which you talked about earlier. But you said, my journey as a neighbor, friend, stranger to some, and learning to see people through a lens of compassion so I can meet them where they are and um, hopefully impact them for better 
even if just for a moment of time. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about meet them where they are, because um, we've kind of touched on judgment a little bit in this conversation. And um, we've also talked about accountability. And I think sometimes the, the gap between um, judging people and accountability can seem kind of harsh where the difference is giving people the benefit of the doubt to meet them where they are. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest difference. But I think there, the accountability part of that is making sure I'm keeping myself in check. So when those judgments, those quick snap judgments that we all do, we all do it. Mm -hmm. Um, we can like stop ourselves for a second and be like, where did that come from and why? And like maybe shove it and not dive into it in that moment, but recognizing that it happened and it's, it's there for you to, to look at later. Right. Um, I posted last night, something about this Uh very thing. And it's, it's a quote that says it's easy to judge. It's more difficult to understand. Understanding requires compassion, patience, and willingness to believe that good hearts sometimes choose poor methods. Through judging, we separate. Through understanding, we grow. Ooh, and it's so by good. Do Zantamata. D O E Z A N T A. Yeah, good old Do. Good for her or him. Yeah, yeah. Um, him. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, and I think, um, you know, just to jump into the hive's nest. I think it's important to meet people where they're at and to be careful about judgment and recognize compassion. But sometimes people say things enough that we need to believe them. Right. But are they saying it or is it their actions that we're looking at? That's the combo, right? Yeah. I mean, like, um, I like to take things to an extreme to find the truth. Yeah. Right. So if it's okay for me to hit my kid, well, that's not the case because I'm not allowed to hit all kids. So I can't hit a kid behind closed doors. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Not that I'm in this debate. I'm just using an example. Right. Um, yeah. My kids, my kids got hit when they reached for a hot stove. That was pretty much, you know, <laughs> you slapped their hand away. Their corporal punishment that they have. Cause somebody's like, I never hit my kid. I'm like, I have. And they're like, Oh my God. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I posted a thing about, um, you know, people glorifying a moss. And I'm like, what justification would it take for you sitting at your kitchen table to be willing to rape someone till their pelvis bones broke? Right. And that people are equating it as the same thing. And it's like the, the Hamas leadership has said they want dead Palestinians, that they want dead. So the leaders of the Palestinian people want dead people. So that they can manipulate Western media. They've said that. Right. And I think, you know, how often do I encounter people in my life who I'm giving the benefit of the doubt so much that I'm contorting myself mm-hmm. to, to believe them when their actions and their words are saying, I want, I want death. Yeah. And so we need to meet people where they are, but recognize where they are could be very different than us. Mm-hmm. And potentially dangerous. But in that case, that's where when when we also need to set healthy boundaries for ourselves. That's the word I wanted you to talk about. Because of your childhood. Mm-hmm. Because of this recognition of, you know, even having been 
accused of abuse. Right. And very life altering consequences. And, you know, as an interpreter, we have to have these boundaries all the time with people. And these are not bad things, but that place for compassion is to recognize those differences. Yeah. And that they might be yelling at the, the ingredient list because of an allergy at home. Right. You know? Yeah. Or a quirk, you know? But if they're yelling, kill all the people in the store, we need to take that seriously. Yep. Absolutely. You know? So those are, those are my deep thoughts about this idea of compassion and judgment. And, you know, we, the reason we humans judge is because it has been dependent upon our survival from the dawn of time to judge. Right. Is that bear coming at me or going away from me? Right. Is this a friendly meeting with this other group of people that are not my people, AKA tribe? Yeah. You know? Well, it's funny that you said that because like I, I posted the the quote because I love the quote and I just was like, I'm going to put my little snippet of like how I feel like it, it relates to me and how it resonated with me. And I'm like, it's human nature to judge. Judging is the easier thing to do. Yes. It can even be a coping mechanism in order to guard ourselves. Um, but seeing where that if I judge someone, I can dig deep into that and figure out why or where that came from. Yeah. And to not judge people through our lens. Right. Because they have a very different way of living and we may not have made the same decision that they made. And that could be good for them and that could be bad for them. Right. But if we judge the lady who grew up in the trailer park who was beaten and abused and married an abuser, she may not have the same life coping skills and we can be compassionate about that, but that girl needs some therapy and some life skills being taught. And if we never get past just our compassion, we don't realize the practical steps of how we could actually help. Yeah. So my story on the abuse side, it it was extremely complicated like we got our kids back we got our custody restored and a month later I was charged with criminal child abuse ah and that fight went on for three more years oh my crap yeah it was and it was hard so I sat through hours of court hours and hours of court and here's here's what here's one of my biggest life lessons that I got from this is one I understand why people go down the rabbit hole of addiction. Mm -hmm. There were times when I was like, yeah, I could use some drugs or alcohol to numb this. I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. And if that's what you've been taught as a coping skill, it makes total sense. No government check is going to save you from that coping skill you were taught. Exactly. And, but I was also aware enough to know that that was not going to help me at all. Like it was going to hurt me in the long run. That coping skill was going to hurt me but it doesn't mean that I wasn't severely tempted to go down that rabbit hole because I was because it just seemed easier to do that and disappear and numb it than to face it yeah um people are put into the system into systems that their life choices led them there their life choices didn't lead them there I never made choices in my life that led me to where I was in that moment 
ever. You were accused and, of these. Yeah. I was accused of these things. So I sat in these courtrooms listening to people's petitions and their, why they were, you know, before a judge. And it was funny because I had a whole ritual, but I had an earbud in playing music that would help me stay calm. Um, and a coloring book that I sat and colored in and sometimes put really negative thoughts, like whatever was going through my head, just like got right. Yeah. All over process it out. Right. To process it out. And while I was still half listening to what was happening in court mm-hmm. and there was one day, there was a, um, person in front of the, the judge who was at that point detained because she hadn't followed court order to get a psyche valve and had been over six months mm. and she'd avoided her court dates and whatnot. So they had to be like, well, you, you can't do the things. And it was for a similar thing where it was custody. She was trying to seek custody of her kid, but she needed to do certain things in order to get to that part in her life. And she's like, right. it's really like, she kept saying like, it's really hard to get a psyche valve. It takes months and takes the, and I sat there and was like, my heart goes out to you as a mother. I know that pain of being separated from your child. I said, and then, but in this, in the same instance, it was, but you need to be held accountable because it's not that difficult. You just have to make a phone call and you have to set an appointment and you have to show up. Right. And this is where I think like social workers can be so helpful because they can sit with people and be like, okay, you know, here's some life skills. Here's some teaching of things. But as long as individuals are told they don't have to be accountable, that is, um, so I, I don't know how else to say it other than in religious terms, but because my worldview is that everyone is a child of God, right. that forms how I look at other people. And so when I look at somebody who's being told because of a handout, you are incapable, yeah. I see that as evil. Right. Because... You were telling that person any message through a check or pity or, you know, like these kinds of emotions that tells them you were incapable of making your situation better inside of them as the same divinity that's inside of me. Right. And that awareness. So it's like, if I know that you know better and do bad, then you're a pooper. Right. But if you don't know any better, then it's becomes upon those around you to focus on teaching you skills instead of just saying you can't, you're incapable because walk the path with you. Right. But if you're telling somebody, but walk the path with them. Right. Cause if you're telling somebody because of the color of your skin or your orientation or whatever, Mm -hmm. you are incapable or not accountable. You are actually demeaning them in a way that is not going to help them be proactive. It's you're, not, ca- you're categorizing them as less than, and no one is less than. Amen, sister. You know, so I, I didn't know how to like put that in like secular terms, but it's like, oh, well they can't. And I'm like, why can't they? Yeah. I mean, I came from, you know, statistically I shouldn't be a functioning human. And it was because right. there were people that said, oh, you're hungry. Let me give you a job at eight. Yep. And ideally I wouldn't have had to work at eight, but that wasn't the situation that was, that was before me. And so teaching me that you can do things and work harder to overcome where you came from. That's awesome. Yeah. 
you know, and that, that has made me who I am today. And so I can never look at somebody and go, if they're standing and walking around, they're probably capable of bettering their situation. They just don't have the skills and incarcerating them is not necessarily going to give them the skills. I think prisons should be like super sweet education camps, not like re-education camps. I want to be really clear. No, like let's, let's take you back to the basics. Let's teach you how to budget. Yeah. Um, It should be like, let's let's get you some workable skills. Let's get you, you know, all of these things that are important. One of the things I do with my kids is, my goal, and I feel like this is like my main thing in life, is is to love them 100%, but to help them gain skills that will make them contributing members of society. Yeah. So my kids each have to plan a meal. We have to sit down and write out what it is they need for that meal for a grocery list. I usually go by myself shopping because I that's my time. <laughs> um but they'll come with me too. Like, and then they'll help me get the things and I'll be like, we'll check out the price. And like, we work on that type of stuff as well. Right. Um, but then they have to execute that meal and feed the whole family once a week. Awesome. And like, it's just teaching them. It's building on those life skills, right? My goal is that one day they're going to be able to feed their family or feed a neighbor or themselves, like just themselves, whatever their story or their path and takes them, they will be able to take care of themselves Yeah, and others around them. I love that. And they take care of themselves and others around them. And others around them. Yeah. And, and tonight my, my youngest is making her meal and... I um, was asked to take a meal into a family and I was like, oh, they're getting whatever, whoever's cooking that day, whatever that meal is, that's right. (laughs) And it happens to be the nine-year-old. And you know, from the Heiner house, right? Okay. The Heiner house, then it's going to be healthy. Yeah. Yep. It's going to fit most diet plans, you know? It's going to work, you know, it's going to be awesome. So I love that. And that's probably a, a great note to end on of they can help themselves and help others. And I know enough about you. You have a big heart, but you also have a real practical approach to how, what that looks like. And I think we've got to be a little bit savvy of how we navigate things and all the bad and all the poop that we go through actually gives us compassion, but used in a good way can help us change the world around us. Yep. I agree. Any closing thoughts, my friend? That's it. I think you you summed it up really nicely. Well, I've, I've been listening the whole time to our conversation. I love it. <laughs> and with that, I want to thank the listener for listening. And if you want to reach out to me to learn more about my workshops on resilience, image, and overcoming abuse in your life, I have those available. And I'm excited to be announcing dates. Um, and for Virginia, a little bit more information about her will be in the show notes. And thank you for listening to this episode of Share Your Hotness.